Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism podcast. Today we're going to discuss another proof which provides evidence that Yeshua the Messiah is not God in the flesh. But this is going to be a different type of proof. It'll be utilizing a technique that you might call negation. Basically, negating something which proves something else. That the the absence of one thing proves a totally different thing. And that's what this is going to be about today. The absence of something proves Yeshua is not God in the flesh. The silence is deafening. The lack of discussion regarding Messiah's deity proves that Messiah is not God in the flesh. Within Christianity, it is necessary for a person to accept that Messiah is God in the flesh. In most cases, it is stated that a person is damned to hell if this is not done. Well, if such a belief is so crucial and absolutely required for a person to be, quote, saved, unquote, then wouldn't it be easily found in the New Testament? I mean, wouldn't that necessary belief, wouldn't that requirement be easily found? Doesn't it make sense that a doctrine of such deeply foundational and necessary importance, according to Christianity, should be one of the most often discussed issues within the Bible, certainly within the New Testament? This is particularly relevant since if such a doctrine is true, it would have been a complete and total upheaval and redefinition of the concept of God, something that had never before been taught within the nation or people of Israel. I will show in this discussion that the fact it is not spoken of much at all, actually, in the New Testament, is proof that it was not considered important or, more directly, that it is a false doctrine invented and fashioned together by previous church fathers who utilized the pagan Roman template to define their faith and to redefine the New Testament. I'll begin this discussion reading from the book of Acts. I will be reading from Acts chapter 14, verses 11 through 15, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Now, the context here is that Paul and Barnabas had just performed some miracles, that that there had been some individuals, a crowd, who had seen miracles performed by the hand of Paul. So again, Acts chapter 14, verses 11 through 15. When the crowds saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Laconian, excuse me, the Laconian language, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, 
Why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And that ends the, the quote from the book of Acts. These verses are particularly revealing and illustrate an enormously important fact to consider when studying the Bible. Why would I say this? Well, one of the strongest proofs against the Trinity or the deity of Messiah is not what the Bible says, but what it does not say. Let me read that again. One of the strongest proofs against the Trinity or the concept of a God-in-the-flesh Messiah is not what the New Testament says, but what the New Testament does not say. What is silent, what the New Testament is silent on. In fact, what is not said in the Bible is among the most irrefutable evidence proving that Yeshua, or Jesus, is not God. Let me say that one more time so that it will sink in. Among the strongest evidence against the deity of Yeshua, or Jesus, the Messiah, evidence that Christianity and Messianic leaders hope you fail to notice is what is not said in the New Testament. The Abundant Proof The Tanakh, what Christians irreverently call the older Old Testament, and the New Testament are literally full of things that are not said which prove that Yeshua is not God. In other words, the Bible is full of the absence of proof that Messiah is God in the flesh. Once the sincere Bible student becomes aware of this fact and doesn't allow Christian leaders to pressure or intimidate them into accepting what is not actually there, the truth of Yeshua's not being God becomes blatantly obvious. The example shown from the book of Acts may not even be the best example, and an individual can find further proof of how what the New Testament authors do not say proves that Yeshua is not God. Now, going back to that reading from Acts, note three points about the verses that I read. First, the citizens of Lystra witnessed miracles at the hand of Paul. Second, after witnessing these miracles, they began to exclaim, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. The New Revised Standard Version better renders, renders the words as, The gods have come down to us in human form. Notice that? The gods have come down to us in human form. They were expressing a God-in-the-flesh, or God-incarnate belief. Sound familiar? It should, because that's exactly what Christianity says you must believe about Yeshua the Messiah. And third, when Paul and Barnabas witnessed this, when they witnessed the citizens of Lystra calling out 
and saying that the gods have come down to us in human form, Paul and Barnabas became incensed at such a thought. They tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd and begged them to turn from such vain things, as they called it. Now note that tearing of clothing was an act of extreme sorrow, agitation, or distress. It was not done flippantly, but was reserved for the direst experiences of heartbreak. For Paul and Barnabas to do this is a glaring testimony of their disgust with what the citizens were shouting. And remember what they were shouting. They were saying, quote, The gods have come down to us in human form. End quote. The vain things to which Paul and Barnabas referred was the concept that God can come down in human form, which is exactly what the Christianity and counterfeit Messianic leaders teach when they promote the God-in-the-flesh Messiah. That's exactly what they teach. The Greek word rendered vain things can also be translated as unproductive, godless, unreal, ineffectual, useless, or futile. Paul and Barnabas considered, and they make, they make it very obvious, that they considered the God-in-the-flesh idea expressed by the citizens to be a useless and futile and even godless belief. Nevertheless, that very belief is today advanced as a required belief within Christian and counterfeit messianic organizations. And if you disagree with it, you are usually condemned to eternal, eternal death by those leaders. First and foremost, consider what Paul and Barnabas did not say. Since the citizens were claiming that God can take human form, why didn't the apostles explain how they were correct, but that the God in the flesh is Yeshua? and not them. That is, why didn't they tell the citizens, okay, you guys, you're, you're right, you're correct, but we're not the ones who, we're not God in human form. Yeshua is the one. Yeshua came down as God in human form. Why didn't they do that? Notice that there is nothing said by Paul or Barnabas that would even hint that the concept of God in human form was acceptable to them. Yet, if Trinitarians and others who promote that Yeshua is God are correct, then there is absolutely nothing wrong with such a concept. Do you see Paul or Barnabas agreeing with the God-in-the-flesh the theology that the citizens of Lystra were proclaiming? Is there something that would suggest Paul and Barnabas considered the God-in-the-flesh concept to be even remotely acceptable. No, there's not even a hint that they considered it remotely acceptable. This is a perfect example of how what is not said, in this case by Paul and Barnabas, provides strong evidence against the concept of a God-in-the-flesh Messiah. 
This episode also provides good evidence of the pagan origins of the Trinity and the God-in-the-flesh belief, since those who so readily accepted such a contrary-to-Tor concept within the city of Lystra were involved in the pagan religions of the Roman Empire, the same pagan religions and same empire from which the God-incarnate mystery originated and took root within Christianity. Additionally, since the Messianic movement is Christianity dressed in Jewish garments, this is also the origins of their identical teaching. A missed opportunity? Paul's and Barnabas's silence in the face of a chance to clarify this issue to those who were obviously open and eager to accept the concept should not be missed. Some might argue that Paul's and Barnabas's revulsion was limited to the specific reference to pagan gods. However, if this were true, Paul and Barnabas missed a golden opportunity to promote the Trinity or some other God-in-the-flesh versions of the idea that the citizens of Lystra were expressing. They could have explained to the citizens that they were correct in their idea but that instead of Jupiter or Zeus and Mercurius, the true God was the one who had manifested himself in the human form of Yeshua. But notice, they did not do that. They did not say anything in support of the God-in-the-flesh concept, thus providing evidence, one of many examples, of how what is not said proves that what is said by the majority of Christian leaders is incorrect and a false doctrine. In fact, the actions of the apostles reveal that the the mere notion of God taking human form and living as a man was considered by them to be a repulsive abomination. Now, let's look at what Paul and Barnabas did say they passionately encouraged them to, quote, turn from, end quote, such futile thoughts and to turn to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. That is precisely what I am saying to you now and all throughout my podcast as I strive to encourage you to turn from the futile, corporeal, God-in-the-flesh teachings of Christianity and Christianized Messianism and return to the one and only true living God. It's the living God we find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, quoting, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Exodus 31, verses 16 through 17. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. Psalms chapter 146, verses 5 and 6. 
How blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it as a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. And finally, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Note, the phrase, I am the first and I am the last, like the phrase Alpha and Omega, is simply an idiom or a saying that infers that there is no other like the one to whom the phrase applies. It is possibly applied to both God and to Yeshua. It can be. It can legitimately applied be applied to both God and Messiah. And it is applied to both of them, possibly, in the book of Revelation. However, this does not mean that Yeshua the Messiah is God. It simply means that there is no other God and separately that there is no other man whom he anointed and empowered as he did Messiah Yeshua. You could apply such terminology to a priceless work of art, for instance, such as, let's say, Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. There is no other like it. Therefore, the Mona Lisa is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega of such paintings. It is the only one in existence. Any others are fakes or counterfeits. Excuse me. Likewise, the God in the flesh of Christianity is a counterfeit, an idol fashioned from the pagan religions of the Roman Empire and inherited by Christianity, which itself comes from the Roman Empire. Now notice very quickly, I'm not saying the New Testament is wrong, and there'll be other podcasts in the future where I identify and I point out in history, starting as early as the 2nd century, where Rome totally usurped and redefined the faith, and it went into apostasy. And it still remains there to this day. But praise God, it is returning. The truth is returning just in time for Messiah's return. Now, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 8. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. Isaiah, finally, Isaiah 45, verses 5 and 6. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising of the... to the setting of the sun, that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now, my immediate objective within this podcast is to somehow tune you into how what is not said in the Bible often proves false, what many promote as truth. 
in areas such as the Trinity, the Sabbath, the Torah, the God in the flesh, Messiah concept, what is not said is often just as revealing as what is said. When God, through his prophets, says something, that should settle it. When false teachers dig and prospect for hints of things that are not directly said, that should prove something about them. When verses are interpreted in a manner that directly conflicts with what God unambiguously did say, that suggests further review of the text is needed. In countless situations, the things not said or the things sometimes directly said prove false the hinted things that the uninformed or malicious attempt to prove. There is no better example of how powerfully deceptive false teachings are than is the issue of the God-in-the-flesh Messiah teaching. Despite the fact there is virtually nothing said to clearly prove that Yeshua is God, Christianity and counterfeit messianism promote it, and the majority of Christians and counterfeit messianics actually accept it and cling to it. The Trinity version of this false teaching is particularly deceitful, since the word Trinity is nowhere found in the Bible. Now that's really an example of things not said. It represents the ultimate example of how something not said proves wrong that which is said by Christian and Messianic leaders. In virtually every single case where an alleged hint exists that is used to so-called prove Yeshua's or Jesus' deity, it can be shown to prove nothing at all or even prove the opposite. I have yet to come across one single God-in-the-flesh or Trinity proof verse in either the Tanakh or the New Testament that cannot be shown to be false after considering the correct rendering of the words, the context, application of Torah understanding, or, at times, proven scribal corruption. The God-in-the-flesh Messiah concept is absent from the Bible. I've seen all the proofs people throw out. If you feel there are still a few verses that claim to prove it, then please read the article that discusses the need to weigh the evidence on the website, on the Torah Messiah website, before arriving at a conclusion regarding what is truth. And I'll also have that in podcast form. Recalling my words from earlier, the strongest evidence against the deity of Yeshua, or Jesus, evidence that Christian and counterfeit Messianic leaders refuse to acknowledge and do not want you to see, is what is not said in the Bible regarding the God-in-the-flesh doctrine. Evidence not presented should be just as carefully considered as that which is presented. Issues that are not discussed, especially when an entire fundamental and required teaching has been formed around such an issue, should undergo even harsher scrutiny 
especially when the scenario presents an excellent opportunity to clarify and prove the issue to exist in the first place, such as what we read earlier from the citizens of Lystra. The silence is indeed deafening. If the belief that Yeshua, or Jesus, is God in the flesh is so important to a Christian's faith, there should be a plethora of verses clearly and unambiguously stating it to be so. If Yeshua were God, the New Testament writings would be swamped with verses focusing on that single issue. Entire books of the New Testament canon would be devoted to that subject alone because such a revelation would have been a complete and total redefinition and upheaval of the Hebraic faith as it had existed since the Garden of Eden. In general, Christians are entirely unaware of how profound and enormous the God-in-the-flesh teachings, which are taught within Christianity and counterfeit messianism, would have been at that time in the first century. The immense doctrinal magnitude of that issue would have guaranteed it to have dominated the discussions within the New Testament, to have been the most direct and unambiguously discussed topic in all of the New Testament writings. But it isn't. The New Testament is basically silent on the issue. The silence on this issue within the Bible is deafening. Indeed, the silence is deafening. How better to prove something non-existent than to never mention it at all? With that common sense fact in mind, the Trinity and any other doctrine that promotes Messiah as God is shown to be utterly false and without foundation. As I've stated elsewhere, I personally believe the concept of God in the flesh is a primary ingredient in the spirit of error or the spirit of Antichrist, as mentioned in John's epistles. Do not let anyone or anything take what is not said and turn it into a mystery that you accept because of the wordiness of their argument or the fear tactics and threats they use against you, threatening you with eternal damnation. Please consider what the Bible says, and also consider what the Bible does not say, what the Bible is silent on. It will determine which you worship, the vain things of the citizens of Lystra, or the true living God of Paul and Barnabas and the God of Yeshua the Messiah. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.